Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Bijou Banter. We're in the KUI studio on Friday, January 27th of 2023, and we have Dan Rigger Hello. And returning, Davey Beam. Hello. And today on Bijou Banter, we are going to be talking about two films. We're going to be talking about The Whale and Skinamarink, which are very different, but also very psychological and thrilling in different ways. And we're going to begin this episode by talking about The Whale, which is the latest film from acclaimed director Darren Aronofsky, who is best known for films like Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan. And it was also written by Samuel D. Hunter, based on his play of the same name. And he is an alum of the University of Iowa, so that is very cool. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, and The Whale stars Brendan Fraser, Sadie Sink, Hong Chow, Tyne Simpkins, and Samantha Morton. And the plot of this movie, The Whale... Um, from IMDb, it's about a reclusive and morbidly obese English teacher named Charlie as he attempts to reconnect with his teenage daughter, who is Sadie Sink's character. What do we think about this movie? So yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that this film had a lot of hype around it, and I think it's mainly due to Brendan Fraser. This is an actor who has not been in the limelight that often in the past 10 years. I mean, the last thing I can remember he was in was... um. Um, last year's that's that movie was from Steven Soderbergh um, and he, he was in that film um, and he was also in DC's Doom Patrol but he's been pretty quiet um, mainstream wise um, he hasn't made his biggest mainstream project like probably last one probably hasn't been The Mummy and I think when the, and this film surfaced it's like it got a lot of attention it was considered to be a front runner for an Academy Award and it was the hype was just out of like just so high i went to go see it um last night all the way in muscatine out of all places um <laughs> and i have to say like you know brendan fraser lives up to the expectations he really does such a great job in the lead performance and this is acting that i never thought we would see from an actor like brendan fraser and but everything else I think the right elements are there, but I feel like it sells us a bit short. I think there's just a lot of things where you have a lot of good elements like the music and cinematography, but I feel like when they mesh them together, it just doesn't work that well. Um, which isn't to say it's a bad film. I think it still has like some pretty good messages and themes to it about addiction and you know, life in general, but it just feels like that the film was not able to accomplish the goal that it had, despite the high expectations for it. And, but, you know, I think it was still relatively entertaining, and I think, you know, it, it is definitely worth to watch for Brendan Fraser's performance. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I think Brendan Fraser did an amazing job and I think Sadie Sink did an amazing I think all the actors did an amazing job, but Brendan uh, Fraser especially. Um, see, the thing is, is that I think it hit a little too close to home for me, and I, I cried pretty much the whole time. Um, and uh, it was just uh, funny, because like, I know that people were saying, like, bring tissues, but, like, I was thinking, oh, it was just, like, you're exaggerating, but no, like, I felt like I needed tissues, and I think if I watched it with friends, I probably would have left the theater, because I was too emotional. 
Yeah, this is a film that I was very interested in The Whale, primarily not only just for Brendan Fraser, but also for Darren Aronofsky, who's a very daring, um, he's not a, he's a very daring filmmaker, he's not afraid to take risks, but also manages to be incredibly polarizing to some people. His last film was Mother, starring Jennifer Lawrence, which is a very bizarre, but also very captivating film. And The Whale definitely seemed like it was going to be a bit more um, down-to-earth compared to some of his more recent works. And with it being adapted from a play, and with this being Brendan Fraser's, I guess, sort of comeback performance, I was like, okay, this is going to be, this is going to be awesome. I'm like really, really excited for this. And there are elements about The Whale that I genuinely think are amazing. Um, everyone has said Brendan Fraser, and they are right. He is truly amazing in this role. He fully encapsulates the character all through like his body language, his um, his dialogue, and just you can tell that this man has gone through so much traumatic events in his life, and it's all just like piling up to the point where he can't even like take care of himself or in like his reclusiveness. He's just so lonely and doesn't know like where to turn to, and it's really really emotional. The biggest problem I have with the whale is would have to be its screenplay. I don't know what you two thought, but. Um, this was adapted from a play, and I've seen clips from various um, performances of the play because it's it wasn't like a major Broadway production. It was more just kind of like a smaller a smaller production. I've seen other um, theater companies do their version of it, and it, you could tell the transition from like stage to screen was definitely one that because the story the story is so self contained. It basically takes place in one room for the entire runtime. The problem I have with this film's screenplay particularly is how it handles its themes. I think in terms of touching upon the ideas of like obesity and reclusiveness and also just redemption, I think those are very easy themes that the audience can identify with, but the whale approaches them on a, in a level that's way too um, unsubtle and surface level. There's not much room for thought, unfortunately, when it comes to analyzing respectfully like what the meaning behind everything is. but. I just keep thinking back to those performances. It's not just Brendan Fraser's getting all the love, deservedly so, but it's not just him. Everyone in this movie is fantastic. Like Hong Chow, who plays um, Charlie's nurse, Liz, it was recently nominated for Best Supporting Actress, as well as Brendan Fraser, nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars this year. And Sadie Sink, who plays his daughter, is, gives such a great performance from like someone who's under 25. It's just every performance here is fantastic and just the script is kind of what's holding it back and also we'll get into like the use of music too but that's also something i had a major issue with but overall i did really enjoy this film though yeah i mean i think like you know the performances are definitely what the film hinges on like, because you know with the story being so self-contained and in this one environment it's all really up to the actors on how they want to like bring these characters to life and you know, and it, and it is mostly Frasier. Frasier just, you know, embodies this character. The thing I do also like about this film is, like, all the makeup on him. And, you no, know, there are some times where you do kind of see a little bit of, like, the um, fat suit he's wearing. But, and, you know, he did gain weight for this performance. I don't think he would have gained that much weight for this performance. That would have, I mean, that would honestly be pretty, like, I wouldn't say terrifying, but, like, you know, I'll be concerned at that like happens but but I do kind of like like you know how he ha embodies the scale of a human being like when he gets up to go 
to the restroom or something and you see him get up it's like it feels he is just huge like it's huge and like you guys this guy is just carrying a lot behind him and a lot of regrets and a lot of like and just a lot of reclusiveness and just a lot of depression that he's going through and you really feel that for Brendan Fraser's character and you know this because this film didn't have Brendan Fraser's performance I don't think it would have been what it is now I think it's because I think he elevates this to being a good film and if he wasn't in this film I think the film would just not be able to accomplish its goal because as far as Aronofsky's direction goes it is definitely his weakest like he doesn't and because I've seen better directed films from Aronofsky and I've seen better like you know risks taken from Aronofsky and I feel like this one just didn't feel like Aronofsky was really pushing the envelope here. He was just shooting this in a very simplistic way and going at the themes in a very simplistic way as well. And I feel like it just didn't come across in the direction as it did in the performance. And I think that's kind of just a testament to, you know, that the film's actors really elevate the film. Do you think that um, with this being, I don't think this is Aronofsky's weakest film. If like, cause, did you see Noah? Oh yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's as bad as Noah. I mean, Noah, I Noah's think is a really terrible. Yeah, film. I mean, I mean Noah. Oh, is that the? It's his Noah's Ark movie with yeah, um, like, Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, if you want to see, see a, okay. I mean, if Very you want to see a film that's like super preachy and not worthy of time, <laughs> please don't go see Noah if you like to. Yeah, but, so in no way this is his worst film, at least in my opinion. But the issue I have is that I, I don't necessarily put all the blame on um. Aronofsky because if anything it's like for, for any film the fundamental skeleton is the script I would argue and the script just it's not like horrendous it's far from being the worst script I've seen this past year but it's just not it's not very um there's not a lot of nuance to it it's not and I don't think it's trying to be like the most epic like game-changing story of all time but there's not a lot of room there where you can like really dissect it and I, I think that's the the issue with Aronofsky is like Aronofsky is a director who really goes in on like the abstract like with Black Swan for example that oh, movie is so symbolic and just so abstract in moments and very disturbing too but also it doesn't have the, the opportunity for him to do really fast-paced kinetic editing like in Requiem for a Dream for example so I like I like the fact that Aronofsky went ahead and made something completely different, but I don't know if this was the right project that he should have done because he wasn't the only one who he he said he'd been wanting to get this film made for a long time, but he wasn't uh, the first one attached to it. Um, George Clooney was considered to direct at one point. Um, Tom Ford, who directed Nocturnal Animals, was also attached to direct, but he left um, for creative reasons. So, I'm. I admire the fact that he at least tried, because I think he did the best he could, but it just, it wasn't all there. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the most non-Aronofsky film, though. That's that's kind of my thing, like, because, you know, when I see Aronofsky, it's like I don't see enough of, like, I think of, like, you know, something abstract and, like, you know, risky. Because even, like, if no, I can tell you that's, like, Aronofsky. Here, it's like I could say, like, anybody could really direct this. Um, so I feel like, you know, I don't... I think he took the least amount of chances with this film. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any of his films. Oh, this is um, your first? Yeah, like... Why? Wow. Uh, so this is the first one. Um, so, 
so yeah, it, so I don't have anything to say there. I will say like, there's one character that I thought was a little bit more nuanced. And then I felt like at the end, they became like a one note kind of character. Which and, character? Um, it's, is it the Ty Simpson's character? Or the, the missionary? The missionary. The missionary, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was like, okay. Um, well, okay. I, 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 it was just like, that was a little disappointing because I thought they were going to really like uh, make him seem a little bit more than what he was. And then, um, and then I felt like it kind of fell flat at the end. Um, and that was like a little bit of like, oh, okay. I, I guess, but um, that was like the biggest issue that I had with it, but um, yeah, well, it was kind of like, I did like the fact that it was in one location. I think that's cool when you can make something that uh, that doesn't need, you know, like a bunch of different locations that you can do with, with what you have. It's really cool, um, but I felt like he had the budget to to maybe go a little bit bigger if he if he's done a lot of famous works before but yeah yeah we're, we're going to transition to a quick psa and we'll be right back with more bijou banter welcome back to bijou banter we are continuing our conversation on the whale and going back to your point about the one room location i would actually have to disagree respectfully because the one location aspect of the film i think is really really well done thematically it's one of the yeah. few it's one of the few themes that i think actually really complements the story is the fact that Char- charlie is not only reclusive but he has literally put himself into a box and to give some context like the reason why he is estranged from his daughter and from his ex-wife is because he abandoned his family for uh, for a gay lover and um there is i don't know if i could say the words but he his lover lost his life, basically. Now he lives with this guilt, depression, has um, gone to binge And so because of that, he he shies himself away from the world because he feels like he he's, li- he's filled with so much guilt that he doesn't know how he can contain that. Even when he teaches his online college class, he keeps his camera off. And the film is shot in the 4-3, um, the or maybe like a little bit wider. It's, it's in a, the aspect ratio yeah. is really, really small. It's like the lighthouse. And... He's constantly just trapped in this box, and so are we to an extent because we really never leave the um, the house or the apartment. The only time we do is when um, there's like one scene that takes place on his porch, and also the opening scene of the movie um, is out in like a field almost. And the movie's been out for a while, and I don't think that's a major spoiler. So yeah, I think I think it's it's a very obvious visual motif, but I think it does really work, especially once we get to the later parts of the film when he's really just breaking down like there's one moment when he's having a conversation with his ex-wife and it's just you can see like every bit of emotion just pouring out he's like i need let ellie know that i've done one thing right with my life like that's that moment hits so hard especially when you have that build up and when you have that when you have all that context and also just the fact that he with the aspiration with the one location everything comes together full circle yeah i think like you know the location really does help really solidify, like, you know, what you said, that space that this character is in. Because, you know, it's very fitting that, you know, they have this character, you know, being a teacher, like, at an online school, because the 
basically it's like you're feeling like you're in this box half the time. Um, and like, cause you know, like, you know, when we were on Zoom, like during like the peak of the pandemic, like we kind of like, you know, these boxes that we're in, um, in some way. And I think like, you know, Aronofsky did a good job, like, you know, realizing that, you know, that's kind of like a good aspect ratio to go with, make it feel like we're very much so contained within this, um, space. And I, and I think it works out very well. Um, and I think... And I think, like, you know, like, that one scene, like, what you said with the ex-wife is very, and it's, it's very well done. Like, I think throughout the whole film, you really do see um, Charlie's progression, like, you know, like, just emotionally deteriorating and physically deteriorating. And it just feels so, like, it feels so, um, feels so emotional. It feels so empathetic. You don't. And I never thought I would get that from Brendan Fraser because I think if most, as most, as I remember Brendan Fraser, like, this was the guy that, you know, was in very corny, like, films, like The Mummy, George of the Jungle, like, this, this is an actor that, you know, was never really taken seriously when, during his peak years in the 90s. I mean, this is an actor that, you know, we kind of laugh at him, you know is kind kind of parodies like the charismatic lead in the mummy like it's it's kind of funny like seeing something like that but this it's like it's a completely different actor like you don't see the 90s brendan fraser you see brendan fraser really just pouring his heart out into this performance and it's like you never i never thought i would see an actor like brendan fraser really take take this huge leap into like being a really good dramatic actor. Like it's very, it's very intriguing to see how that unfolded once the film started. Yeah, I mean, okay, I think, um, I think the reason that like, as much as I did, I, I did like and get the one room aspect, I think the reason that I wanted it to to maybe go a little bit, like, maybe expand just a little bit, is more uh, because, like, like you guys said, like, the direction, like, the directing and the stuff, like, you, it, it, it didn't lend very well to do more uh, cool, like, better, like, cooler shots that kind of, um, that kind of hurt the, the direct, the, the the directing part of it I think uh, that's but that being said I do think that it it did uh, well for um, one location um, and yeah I, I think that it, it was like that part was very emotional um, and then there was like a part that really got to me was the uh, when when he when he says like you know like um, like when he says like, oh, like who who wants uh, me to be in in their life or something, which really struck me probably the most, um, um, just because of how like sad that is to have someone say that, and then I don't know, like I guess maybe I was project like it felt like it was saying it to me, um, a little bit, and I was like, whoa, like, yeah, but. Yeah. And then, and then we're like, well, as the film goes on, you kind of really, I mean, I said to feel it like once you like see him like go down this like huge rabbit hole of binge eating, like, I, I don't know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like one of those characters that you see when it's like, what are you doing to, 
this to yourself. Like it really feels like you feel so bad for it. It's kind of yeah. for, for the character. It kind of reminds you of like uh, Uncut Gems, where you know you see San Adam Sandler's character getting close to being an almost good person, but then all of a sudden, like he just goes, he starts doing the same things over and over again. It's like, oh, buddy, why? And, and like you really feel bad because like. He can't help it, but it's just like that type of addiction that you know it's the whole that Brendan Fraser's character is really going down. I think too, in terms of how the film handles empathy, because this is something that I, I want to discuss, because The Whale has received surprisingly somewhat mixed reviews. Like there was some discourse over the handling of obesity, which um, I don't really feel comfortable talking about that on on this on this episode but in terms of how it handles empathy i find that really interesting because there's some people that say like it's just trying to get you to cry and like tug at your emotional heartstrings which i see to some degree but what what films like the whale has that a lot of other films that try to get to get you to empathize with the character is that it has an unbelievable amount of humanity to it especially with not just brandon Fraser's character but also every character feels very realized i think we, we, we've discussed like how the direction and themes are can be a bit shallow at times but i think what this script does succeed very well is making very well-rounded characters that have so much to them and what i find so sad so sad about the film too is not only just the amount of guilt that charlie feels and how we also feel that as well is the fact that throughout the film you can see smidges of life of this like what was this what did this guy used to be like when he was actually like when he was happy, when he was, when he didn't have all this guilt and regret. Like, we see that with the picture frames of, um, Alan is, was the name of his lover. We see that, just, like, the smile on his face. But even, even in scenes where he does, like, self-deprecate, like, there's one moment where, like, he keeps saying, I'm sorry to, to Liz, and Liz is like, if you say that one more time, like, I will, I'll, I'll take a knife and, like, stab you or something like that along those lines. And he's just like, like what's that gonna do i got my internal organs are like two feet in and then you, he has like this really like like huge giggle almost like he, he's like it's self-deprecating but also you could see like he has a sense of humor too and he's trying to little bits like that in his performance he's trying to get that out but he simply can't so it, it makes it all the more sad when he just really breaks down in the last third we're yeah. only spending time with ellie too because ellie um who's sadie singh's character definitely does not have a good relationship and doesn't want anything to do with him but just the fact that she's there in front of charlie that makes him happy just like the little things like that that he wishes he can like hang on to that are just slowly going away yeah and you also gotta like give credit to like i'm having a really good performance that you know it's like a character that you wanna she like she plays a character that you know is pretty much fed up with like what Charlie's been going through. It's like, why do you keep doing this to yourself? Why don't you go and call the ambulance and head to the hospital? Like, why don't you do this? But then you kind of see a little bit of the humanity in there, like after Charlie makes that joke about the internal organs, like it, and then you kind of see like, you know, there is a, there is a relationship there. And it feels very natural. It doesn't feel like that, you know, she's kind of shifting between moods. It feels like, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a good relationship between the two. Because, you know, you can tell that she deeply cares for Charlie. Um, and I think it works out that well. And even though Sadie Sink's character, um, where, you know, it's pretty much like tough love at some points. Like, you know, she's a character that, um, I mean, I would say like, you know, I don't know, I think like there is a bit of a dated archetype of like the whole aspect of like 
what her character does outside like she um like what post pictures of her um, mom on Facebook well the movie does take place in like 2012 yeah 2012 so yeah I mean and in which you know I think it fits it nicely but I think but you it does yeah I, I believe it does I don't know if they outright say it uh-huh. but yeah that's when the play was written and also with yeah. the technology that they have it's oh, not from like 2020 or anything yeah it's, I assume it's taking place like 10 years ago I don't know if they outright say it but okay. I think in the script because the script is out there too check it out if you would like to I think they specifically mentioned the year yeah yeah but but yeah I mean you can tell like okay maybe that's like a little bit I mean no it's still a thing out there but it's like not a thing that is like as prominent as it once was but you kind of see like you know this character that you know is having so much like so many issues like you know she's suspended out of school and she's a bit of a rebel but you know you you can kind of see like Fraser's character really just sees um something deep down in her that you know nobody else was able to see and i i really like that aspect and i think it comes I need, across i, I needed to remember what an amazing person she really is yeah like that, that's basically his whole goal of yeah. the movie so it's like that's like there's like there's great lines like that and there's other lines that are just like really really on the nose and corny yeah <laughs> so oh, yeah, i feel i feel bad because he's he's in he's a university alum but it's just like there's some stuff that's really hard for me to ignore when i was watching oh, yeah. it. i mean i think there's like some expositional yeah. things that i just couldn't get behind like you know when sadie sings characters introduced he's like oh well you lost me when i was eight and it's like i mean i, I don't know i feel like that could have been either visually told to us or not as like dense of the line i feel like there was something um script wide that could have been adjusted there um because otherwise again it felt like okay yeah that's exposition i mean it's not bad exposition but i don't want to make it feel like that it's exposition <laughs> yeah um and obviously i think the one element that you know me and matthew probably agree i'm not sure about you davy the music is a bit overbearing. <laughs> okay, I think this will be the last thing we talk about because then we gotta move on. But yeah, that's the one. This is the one thing that actually really, really annoyed me about this movie. The music itself is not bad. I just want to yeah. it's not bad music. Mm-hmm. The way it's used, I think, is really is honestly kind of disrespectful to not only the audience but also the performers because you have all of these actors giving phenomenal performances, and it's like that is enough to carry the weight. But the music always like insinuates this like oh, and now's the part where you gotta start crying now, and now's when you gotta bring out your tissues and all that. It's just like, it does, it tries to carry so much of the weight when it really doesn't need to be. I think there's, especially in the later third is when it really drives me nuts because it's just like, dude, this is like the climax of the movie and like, I get it. I can get that just by silence, but when you have like, you know, like it's like guys like like swooning violins and all that, just like, it's really distracting and takes a lot out of it when it, it, it could have easily been fixed. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it could have gone a little bit more minimalistic um, because I think it's kind of like, you know, where it's the 1917 effect where, you know, the music yeah. is like, you know, it fits in with like, you know, what the scene is trying to accomplish, but it just feels a little bit tad overproduced. And it's funny, I kind of got like, Thomas Newman vibes out yeah, of this. Yeah, like, the music for this. And it's like Rob Simonson um, who did the music, and I felt like it could have gone a little bit minimalistic. I mean, there's some parts of it where, you know, there's minor strings or piano chords that, you know, work out for what it's trying to do, but then there's, like, multiple scenes where it's like, I don't know why you're bringing in such heavy cellos and heavy bass bows. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I feel like they really had it feel so overbearing in some respects. Yeah, I... I'll be honest, I don't think I 
paid any attention to the music. No. Um, it's same with Nineteen Seventeen. Like I know that you've had that complaint. You told me about that, and I was like, oh, I have, I I didn't notice. Like, I, but it probably did affect me because I was crying a lot. I was crying a lot in that movie too. So like, yeah, and I will say I think I've no I I, I think I noticed it like maybe in the beginning where it was like the zoom out of the, like the computer or the the zoom thing mm-hmm. or, or the zoom in right yeah um it was the zoom in um like that's when i like noticed it but i don't remember too much other than maybe when when he's alone and he's like eating heavily but i was too bu- busy like looking away like being uncomfortable with that scene with those type of scenes because of like like I was like oh well, I can't like, when he's like eating and yeah stuff, it's so like dun, dun. it's like oh it's yeah. bad it's bad like he has to stop doing it it's like dude I get it I see it on the screen right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that stuff drives me yeah stuff it, it's well, especially during that scene where it's just kind of like, okay this is a little bit much <laughs> <laughs> I mean I mean nineteen seventeen like you know people always like to shake throw shade at Thomas Newman, but you know, on its own, the music's not bad, but I feel like that, you know, for the situation I was trying to present, it just didn't work. 1917's use of music single-handedly brought down my rating by, like, two points, honestly. <laughs> yeah. It, that, I can, like, the music's fine, but the use of it was horrendously bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, like, a difference, you know, like, a good-sounding score and a score that fits in with the film that you're trying to tell. Um, and I feel like, you know, here it's like, you know, it's not bad music, but why is it in a film that is this contained as the will? Like it doesn't. It There's just no doesn't... diegetic music really in the movie. Yeah, really. I think it's all it's all just the sound, the score. Yeah. The ambience. Anyway, yeah. So we're just about out of time for our conversation on the whale. What are our final thoughts? Um. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean, I would say. I mean, I'm more on the positive end on this film, and I. I think. I think it definitely. You know, it did sound like I'm, I was, like, you know, criticizing it a lot, but I feel like it, it does have its heart in the right place. Um, and I think, like, if it wasn't for Brendan Fraser's excellent performance, I don't think this film would have been as nearly as good as it, as it is with him in it. And I, and I think that's, you know, a testament to, you know, how good of an actor Brendan Fraser can be, and I'm looking forward to see this next era of the Frasier songs come in and just or the Renaissance and just like yeah. seeing him like you know <laughs> you see him in more big movies because I mean I don't know I kind of miss the corny charisma of Brendan Fraser but I really do like the fact that he's really pushed himself beyond his own acting range and just gave a performance of a lifetime and yeah I give this probably about I would say a light six out of not not a light six I would say a strong six to a light seven out of ten I think that's a fair um, okay. Uh, can I not read it? Yeah, you're not. You're not. Okay. Oh, uh, because I. The thing is, is that I think that I think it's a. I think it does more good than it. Well, no, I. I I think it's. I think it's a very well done. I think it's a very well done movie. Maybe there's some elements that you can nitpick, um, but overall, I think it was good but I think it 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 was just way too close to home that I felt like I'm gonna have to say that I it would have been maybe better if I didn't watch it at all Mm. um because of um the stuff that really like 
sort of reminded me of things that have happened that I'm just like, ah, like, I probably shouldn't have watched it. Um, so I, I think I want to not, I'm, I'm not going to rate it because I think it's just, it's, like, it's not a bad movie, but it's, it just really, it was just emotionally affected me, I think, a little too hard. But I think it, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy this film, The Whale. It's not it's not a great film, which I was, it wasn't the great film I was hoping it would be, but there are certainly great elements, like we've said so many times, performances. There's certain moments in the script that I think really, really work. But it, do, it does seem like, I think if, they, if Aronofsky had a different, say, directorial approach to this film, it could have been something really, really amazing. And... I'm not trying to discredit Aronofsky as a director. He's a fantastic director. But I'm curious to see what another filmmaker could have brought to this film. Because it's so different from Aronofsky's work. But I do admire the fact that he went ahead and made it. It's clear that he really enjoyed the script. If he's been trying to get this film made for 10 years. So I admire that. Um, it, it, it It's playing in theaters currently. I'm not sure where. But yeah, The Whale, it's, it's, a, it's a good film. And I think, I think it's there's great moments in it so i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten i oh i think there's still plenty of film scene i believe i i believe it's currently playing a film scene hopefully by the time we upload this episode it will still be playing there okay yeah so, so yeah go watch it if you'd like to yeah do you think that if it was just another director if it was the same movie nothing changed do you but it was a maybe a new up-and-coming director or someone else do you think that that rating would have been higher or lower? Well, it's hard to say depending on, on the quality of the filmmaker because we're not, if it's a new, if it's a new time director, then we're not going to be sure what the, um, their approach is. So it's, it's hard to say, but, um, yeah, that was, okay. that was, that's my answer, I guess. So we're going to move on from The Whale to a small horror film called Skinnamarink, which is the directorial debut of Canadian filmmaker Kyle Edward Ball. And, the story of Skinnamarink, it's from IMDb, it's about two children, they wake up in the middle of the night and they realize that their father is missing and then all the windows and doors in their home have vanished. Like, it sounds like nothing, but there's definitely a lot to this movie. And this movie, by the way, it's going to be premiering or start streaming on Shudder next week, I believe February 3rd. We saw it in theaters because there was a limited theatrical run that unfortunately has since ended, but it's going to be streaming soon. And Daniel, you haven't seen the film as of now, so I guess Dave and I will be conversing. <laughs> yeah, you can jump I mean, in I, I obviously missed that on Skin Rink. Um, I actually did want to see it uh, because, you know, I'm actually into, like, horror films um, in some respects. I mean, most of the time I laugh at them, but I don't know. It's, if it's quality entertainment, <laughs> I, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. But, I don't know, I might have to go pick up that Shutter free trial yeah. and watch it. But, yeah. It's good. You should. Yeah. Um, what do you think? Well, I absolutely love this movie. Um, from, I think, last week, I think I said that it was fourth on my top ten movies of the of uh, 2022. Um, and, but it's funny, though, because, um, because I watched The Whale and Skinner Inc. Um, in the same day. I watched, but I watched The Whale first. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and so... I was still kind of recovering from what I saw 
there, there, I'm sure this there. helped. <laughs> and it was like, but, but it was really, I don't know, it was really like calming. A lot of, like, a lot of it was like steel shots and, you know, and, and this like build up of tension. And, I, and it reminded me of the Blair Witch Project, mm-hmm. which is like my favorite horror film um, of all time. Uh, maybe besides the lighthouse, um, but this, but this was like, like it might even beat uh, the Blair Witch, um, just because I, I love like what it did, and and even though like some I've heard some people say that it's a little too long, it may have been better as a short, um, but I think because I was so tense the whole time, I did not feel the length. I was like. If if anything, I was like, when is this gonna be over so I so um I can like recoup from what I I'm just seeing right now, um, um but uh, but it was just amazing. It was uh, I I love it. All right, Skinnamarink is one of the most interesting films that I've seen in a long long time. For for better and for worse. Uh, we'll talk about the better. This is genuinely one of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my life. And I don't say that often because I can name plenty of movies where I was disturbed watching it. The Lighthouse is an example or like um, Ari Aster's films, *Hereditary* and Midsummer, are the ones I usually go to. Skin and is one of the few films that genuinely terrified me, which is re- I, I rarely say, and I'm so glad that I, fi- I can find a film that genuinely makes me scared because this movie has such an unnerving, unsettling, and scary atmosphere that we really don't see in a lot of films. It's shot, it's shot like a 70s grindhouse film or like on a VHS camcorder. There's n- there are human actors, but you never see their faces because it's shot from the perspective of like, what are they, like five? Like five-year-old kids? But when the scares happen, because they're so out of nowhere, and the, the mood of this movie is so well done and established, yeah. and when the jump scares happen, it really catches you off guard. Like, it makes you jump. And that atmosphere just lingers on throughout the entire film. Just like, this is really, really cool. I'm glad that I'm finally watching something that's genuinely scary. Now, where the downside to this movie, and then I'd, I'd have to... Um, what you were saying about the length is exactly my problem. I think it's way too long. <laughs> the, stuff, the stuff that's scary, when it works, is awesome. It's like 20 minutes. The rest of the, rest of the runtime, it's just really, really dull and boring. Because there's a lot of shots where it just lingers on toys or on walls or on floors. And it just, it's, it holds on the shots for like way too long. And there's too many of them. The movie becomes really repetitive and really dry. But when the scares happen, like that's when it works well. And just when um, like stuff disappears, it, it's not, I don't think it's meant, it's not meant to look realistic. It's meant to look kind of like corny, but like that, it just adds like to this unsettling mood. I do think that this would be better as a short film because another film like a short film that genuinely scared me is a YouTube short called The Back Rooms, which I don't know if you two have seen. Yes. But that was... That's kind of like, I feel like, uh, was like, it, it reminded me of that and just like um, analog horror in general, yeah. like from YouTube. And I was like, it's cool that they're kind of doing an analog movie, basically, an analog horror movie, which I think is why I really liked it. And also, like, I, I get the length. I get the length criticism, uh, uh, but I think because I'm a big fan of the Blair Witch Project, and that's just like 
three people arguing about a map the whole time. But at least the until Blair, like the until twenty minutes of the movie. At least the Blair Witch Project has like dialogue and human character. Like, well, humans. Uh, there's humans in Skinner Ring, but there's at least conversations. There's at least stuff there in Skinner Ring. There's really not a lot there, though. It seems very hollow because like. Analog horror shorts like the back rooms, like that the back rooms is like ten minutes long. Whoever I forget I forget the person who made it, but he knew that what he had was sufficient enough for ten minutes and that was it. Skinner Ring seemed like it would be sufficient for at most, at most forty minutes. But then it's just it's really dragged out. It kinda reminded me of Host in a way, the Zoom horror film. Or host does feel a bit long, but at least it didn't go over like seventy minutes. Host is like fifty-five, I think. So I think that's the film's biggest killer, and I'll be honest, if this film didn't scare me as much as it did, I think I would borderline hate it because it really does not offer a lot much else besides the scares. But based on the fact that this did, in fact, scare me, was enough for me to recommend it because this film, um, I didn't hear about it until kind of recently. It was trending on TikTok. Apparently, it premiered at um, the Fantasia Film Festival in Canada, and it apparently leaked out or like there was something wrong where like a pirated copy got out. And that's how, like, clips were spreading around on the internet and, like, building up this word of mouth. And then when it came out in theaters, then, unfortunately, I can't say how much this movie cost, but let's just say it was not over six digits. It was, like, a five-digit budget. And it's already made upwards of a seven-figure budget. Just like a seven-figure gross. Yeah, it's, like, it's impressive how much this movie costs to make and how much it's made back in such a short amount of time. So it's really cool. I'm very happy for this filmmaker that he was able to get this type of success from such a small film. And now I, I, I want to see what else he makes. I really, really do. I just hope there's a better story that he can make. I, like, like um, I think also another factor of why I like it so much is that I think because it was so cost-effective, or, yeah, it didn't cost that much. It was just very, um, like, like, and it made so much more money than it, it cost. Um, is like a testament to what you can make um, with nothing, basically. Yeah. And I think that's inspiring, um, which I think was, this was my fable lens, I feel like, <laughs> because like that, was, like that movie was supposed to inspire me. He just like me for real. <laughs> yeah, I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and so I think I, I gravitate towards... Um, movies that are, are that have been done with um, what they're given instead of like a big budget um, and that's why I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is, was my top movie of the year because it was it, like they didn't really have a big budget either and they made something so amazing um, and it's the same with this one that it's just like this is really inspiring and it's funny I didn't even know that it leaked on TikTok or anything I didn't even know about it until, like, maybe a few days um, before I watched it. Because I was like, oh, this is weird. This is, people, like, I, I just saw, like, friends, like, or, like, watching it. And, and then I, I saw, like, clips of it. I think, um, like, it started, like, on my Instagram, like, showing clips of it. And I was like, oh, this is, like, a analog horror type of movie. I want to watch this, and and so I asked like friends, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we're watching it uh, this day. You should come." And it was cool that I got to see my with my friends, um, and I think that also helped um, 
make the experience a lot better for me. Thanks. We're going to transition to a quick grand spot and be right back with more Bijou Banter. Welcome back to Bijou Banter. We are continuing our conversation on Skin Ring. What does help with making this film so terrifying, at least in my opinion, is the fact that the scares stem from the nightmares of a child, specifically a young child. Like, I don't really remember nightmares specifically from when I was a kid, but when you see vis- these types of visuals and how it's, um, it's, it's heavy on atmosphere and like specifically dark hallways, where it's only illuminated by like a tiny nightlight in the corner of, of the room, like, I remember those visuals from when I was, like, six. I don't remember nightmares, but I just remember that atmosphere. And it not only does, it does a great, I think it's shot very, very well, despite it mostly being on, like, carpets and ceilings and walls. But it it knows where to, it knows where to point the camera and also the sound design, too. Oh. Particularly effective because <laughs> so much of the scares come from the sound. There's yeah. one, um... One of the scares, which I think is honestly the cheapest jump scare in the movie, this is the one I didn't really like. It's of the chatter telephone, the really creepy um, telephone with the with the face from Toy Story. Yeah, yeah it's like yeah. it's just in the corner, and the lights turn on, and then the phone rings. It's just like when you see like the eyes like just in the corner of the room with like the darkness surrounding it, shrouding that. It's kind of haunting, honestly, and it shows that you don't need like. You don't need like Window or Final Cut Pro or Adobe After Effects to make like your big jump scare horror fest. You you don't have to be the next Cloverfield. Like you can do something like this, and it could be effective. Yeah. Um. I I think I will say is that I I didn't like the jump scares. You did not like the jump scares. I didn't like the jump scares because I like I think some might have been effective, but I think I I want to say most of them to me were cheap. Um, especially the one uh, where, like, um, where uh, like it was in one of the POVs of the ch- of the children, and one of them like says something, and then the then and then the the child's like, like don't scare me like that, and I thought that was like. That's like the oldest jump scare in the book. Well, I don't and think that was I, trying to be a jump scare, though, to tell you the truth. I think that one was more just to set you off course. Because for me, the jump scares, except the chatter phone one, because by that point, we had already had like three of them and we kind of knew. They were out of nowhere, most of them. Like, especially the one with the face, you know, near the middle, which was horrifying. The one part that genuinely still like, terrified me. That, but I don't think that was really a jump scare. You don't think that so? Was, I disagree. <laughs> like, I, I felt like that was like... Like when you see it, you jump, but not like I don't think I don't I don't remember a sound that like it was like a shriek. Was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I in my defense, I was plucking my ears and and I'm trying to close my like only like squint <laughs> to see uh, when it got really intense. Uh, so in my my defense, I I might have. <laughs> um, uh, have seen it in, in uh, like a in a, a way that I could remember some of the jump scares because I was mostly just trying because I was thinking I'm just gonna anticipate the jump scares so I was in a very like like okay I'm ready you know in case something jumps at me um, sort of stance um, uh, but but the thing is is I hate that I hate that I feel like I have to be in that stance to um, when I'm seeing a horror movie, and I think what I liked about Blair Witch is that I don't think there was any jump scares. It was all 
Like, it was just a creepy atmosphere that made you afraid. Hmm. And I wish that they would have done that. Like, I, like, I feel like they didn't need the jump scares um, to be effective. And that's what I didn't like. Um, I will say, I, I was a little bit disappointed on the last 20 minutes. I think oh, it gets really abstract at points. Because like, it got really abstract, but but not only that, that is like I think it was also because um, um, there was a, a, a one of the instructors for like a production in, instructors for um, the University of Iowa I, I I met right before, and he was saying that his friend, who was a horror filmmaker, said that this was the most. The, like the scariest thing he's ever seen in the last uh, 20 minutes of it um, freaked him out and so like and he was telling me that before I watched the movie and I was like ooh okay so the, the last 20 minutes are, are gonna be the most scariest thing ever and I felt like I felt like I was a little bit more scared in like maybe the middle no, parts or then this, but I but I got, got that it was really weird I thought that I liked it, but it wasn't as scary as some other parts I felt. I'll be honest, in the last 20 minutes, that's when I started to get the most impatient because it just felt like it was being dragged out like really, really long. Because I think at, once we get to like the chatter telephone jumps here, that's when I started to really lose interest because I think that's like a good point where it's like now the climax is starting, now the ending happens because you're, you're not supposed to understand what this movie's about on a first watch. So it's one of those types of movies, and which I, which I really respect to, to a degree. This, this one, I just wish that there was, like, more to it. And it's not like... Because I'll be honest, Davey, I'm not a big fan of Blair Witch Projects. Because for me, it's not scary. I don't think the movie's scary. Even, like, it's an important <laughs> film. It does, get, it does get the most creepy in the last 20 minutes, though. Yeah, but I the think... the build-up to that is just, like, I don't like the character. This is boring, and it's just silly. I don't feel like that... I, I feel like Skin and Marink is what I wish I got out of Blair Witch Project, personally. But it's still, like, not <laughs> amazing, though. I will say, um, I, I, like, yeah, like, pretty much the whole movie of Blair Witch isn't really scary. I think I was a lot more scared the first time I watched it, but when I knew what I was getting into on the, you know, when I rewatched it and stuff, um, like, yeah, it, like, 20 minutes, but the 20 minutes I feel like are really effective, and I think that, um, I like that they kind of just, the, the whole movie is just building up to that. And I, and I think that's what I think works. Um, but I will say that's really, like I can see that criticism as well. Um, and, and going off to like onto dreams, I feel like I, I had had like a, like a similar dream to this in, 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 in bits and pieces, um, like where the, the sister has no face. Um, there was a one dream that I got from uh, watching like an episode of Doctor Who where like the television sucks your face in or whatever and then the the, the bodies are just like shells moving around uh, that scared me so much and I've had night and I've had like a nightmare or two just about that one episode alone where my face was just completely gone um, and I had to cover up my all the TVs in the house uh, for <laughs> weeks. Um, so I think it's also, that also helps, um, like experiences that you've had as a child, I think helps 
um, build this movie up to being as scary as it was. Yeah. Are you convinced, Daniel? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm still gonna go see it. I mean, I'll, I mean, I might have to hit up the Shutter subscription if I get the time. I mean, I mean, I'm not really interested in like you know sound footage as much as I used to be. I mean, I, I mean, I grew up on like the paranormal activity films. I've seen Boy Witch. Um, you know, I feel like those films kind of date themselves a little bit, in my opinion. I think sometimes the horror, you know, it just doesn't impact the way I want it to. I mean, from what I'm hearing from this, I'm, I'm going to probably go catch it. I mean, I think it's not going to be, like, Unfriended or what's that other film about Zoom that I watched that I wasn't... Host. Host, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Host. Um, I mean, I think it's like, you know, sometimes it can be a bit gimmicky doing something in this format, but I don't mind analog horror. I think it can be effective when it needs to be, so I, I'll, I'll go catch it um, and see what my thoughts are. So so what are your final thoughts on Skimmery, Dave? Um, I think it's a good movie if you want to be an independent horror filmmaker or just an independent uh, filmmaker in general and to see, like the success of this movie and what it ended up making um, is like you just don't need a lot like um, you can just use what you have and I think that's good for people that want to make films um, to know and I think it's a good movie to inspire you um, and I have to say um, I give it a 10 out of 10 wow nice yeah I Generally, I do think I have a mixed feeling about this movie, but I definitely lean more towards the positives just because if you want to see a movie that is genuinely unsettling and scary, I would have no problem recommending this. You just need, you also just need to be prepared for a very slow moving, potentially boring experience though, because there's elements in here that are super effective, super moody, super creepy, but also moments where you're just like, I might as well just be watching grass grow. So, overall, I, I, I did enjoy it, though. I'm glad I saw it, and I would recommend checking it out if you would like to, especially when it comes out on Shutter, particularly with the lights off, because it's it really effective. <laughs> Don't watch this during the day, please, if you would like to. So, yeah, I'm going to give Skin My Ring a 6 out of 10. I think that's a fair score. And that concludes this episode of Bijou Banter. Tune in next week, where we're going to be talking about M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Knock at the Cabin, as well as Women Talking, the recent... Academy Award nominee, and until next time, I've been Matthew. I've been Daniel. I've been Davey. We will see y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.